السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما تجري هوم ورك يس somebody did it very nicely very beautifully they made a nice chart of a whole tree and lots of branches of iman and at the bottom they've also written all the references all of the verses from which we learn about the different branches of iman i was actually telling her to make a board as well i would like all of you to participate in it inshallah if we can have a tree a huge tree with lots of branches and each one of you should put one thing okay have your contribution because you know that this hall is a multi purpose hall alhamdulillah so many people come in so whenever people come in they should be able to learn something Okay, and a tree is always attractive, always interesting. And people get to know, okay, this is also a part of Iman. Remember that part of Iman is doing something and also not doing something. Iman includes doing certain things and not doing something. So for example, where a command is being given, that means doing that is a part of Iman. And where a prohibition is given, leaving that is also a part of Iman. It includes Tark. She's mentioning that In Surah Al-Hujurat, she was reading the verses that لا يسخر قومن Eventually it was said in the verse was that بِئْسَ الْإِسْمُ الْفُسُوقُ بَعْدَ الْإِيمَانِ That it doesn't suit a believer that he would do something like this. What a terrible name it is after Iman, to be known as a fasiq. So it shows that a believer, fisq does not suit him. He may commit fisq, but that is an indication of the Iman being low, decreased. So inshallah we can work on this activity together all of you should you know think about how you can do it and also in your groups discuss it okay discuss your homework amongst yourselves inshallah okay somebody asked a question about bismillah at the beginning of the bab i said bismillah and i believe in your book there is no bismillah over there right perhaps some of you have some of you don't have in some versions you find bismillah at the beginning of the bab and in other versions you don't find bismillah so both are okay all right One more question that was asked about the hadith of Bunni al-Islam wa ala khamsin, the order of the pillars, that how come hajj is coming before Sawmi Ramadan. There are many other versions of this hadith as well. One particular version is in which Ibn Umar r.a, he was narrating the hadith, and the one whom he was teaching, when he repeated the hadith before him, he changed the order. So he corrected him that no, don't say it in this way, say it in this way. He corrected the order for him. And there are many other versions in which the order is different. So what we learn is that this hadith, when the sahaba or the people, when they learned this hadith and when they narrated it, some gave importance to the order of the pillars and others, they did not give much attention to that. So the hadith was transmitted in meaning. Do you understand? The hadith was transmitted how? In meaning. Not just according to the words, but also in meaning. This is why in some versions you'll find the order slightly different. Let's continue. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala nabihina Muhammadin. Babun, al-muslimu man salim al-muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadihi. Babun, chapter. Which chapter? That al-muslimu, the Muslim is, man, the one who, salima, he is safe. Who is safe? Al-muslimuna, the Muslims, min lisanihi, from his tongue, wa yadihi, and his hands 
So who is the Muslim? The one from whose hands and tongue other Muslims are safe. حدثنا آدم بن أبي إياس حدثنا he narrated to us who narrated to us Adam Adam and who is Adam Abu Iyas and Abu Iyas he narrated قال he said حدثنا شعبة شعبة narrated to us from who عن عبد الله بن أبي السفري from عبد الله ابن أبي السفر وإسماعيل and إسماعيل عن الشعبي from الشعبي what does it mean by this وإسماعيل and Ismail. What this means is that both Abdullah and Ismail, both of them narrated this from who? Ash-Sharbi. You understand? Abdullah ibn Abi Safar. And secondly, Ismail. Both of them took this hadith from who? Ash-Sharbi. And Sharbi took this hadith from who? An Abdullah ibn Amrin. From Abdullah ibn Amr. Notice the word is Amr. The name is Amr. It's not Umar. Okay, Umar is different and Amr is different. Many people, they get mistaken. They think that this name is Umru. Hmm? Or that this name is Amru. Or that this name is Umar. No, this is actually Amr. Now, why is the name written with a wow at the end? The name is written with a wow at the end because before, they did not use Tashkil. They did not use any Tashkil, any signs. So, if you wrote Amr and Umr, how would you differentiate between the two? There was no obvious difference. So to differentiate between the two, they would put a wow at the end to indicate that this name is actually Amr and not Umar. Understand? So, An Abdullah ibn Amrin, radiyallahu anhuma. So what does it show? That Abdullah ibn Amr, who was he? A sahabi, radiyallahu anhuma. Which shows that his father was also a sahabi. Who was his father? Amr. Amr ibn As. That was his father. So this is why radiyallahu anhuma. So he narrated, anin nabiyyi, from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala, he said, what did he say? That al-muslimu, the Muslim is, man salima. Man, the one who, from whom salima al-muslimuna. The Muslims are safe. A Muslim is the one from whom other Muslims are safe. How? Millisanihi from his tongue, wayadihi and his hand. This is the definition of who? A Muslim. Wal muhajiru and the immigrant, the muhajir, is who? He is man, the one who hajara. He leaves. He moves away. From what? Ma that which nahallahu. Allah forbid anhu from it. So the muhajir, the immigrant, is the one who moves away, who leaves that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. This is where the statement of the Prophet ﷺ is complete. Imam Bukhari adds over here with regards to the chain. Qala Abu Abdullah wa qala Abu Muawiyah. Both of them, they said that haddathana Dawudu that Dawood narrated to us. From who? An Amirin from Amir. An Amir, qala, he said, Amir said that سمعت عبد الله عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that Amir said that he heard Abdullah. Which Abdullah? Hmm? Ibn Amr. Same Abdullah. He heard from him. So we see that from Abdullah رضي الله عنه many people took this hadith. So Imam Bukhari is mentioning the different narrations over here, the different chains over here. عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. 
وقال عبد الاعلى ان عبد الاعلى هي سيد عن داوود عن عامر عن عبد الله عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم another chain is being mentioned over here so we see that imam bukhari quotes several chains over here why is he doing that to show the authenticity of this hadith he's combining all the different narrations another interesting thing that you will learn in this book is that imam bukhari repeats the ahadith many times isn't it so we know that in sahih bukhari the ahadith are repeated many times and many times he will mention the same hadith with one chain and another time he will mention the same hadith with another chain and at some instances what he will do is he will mention the hadith but over there he will mention several chains together so this shows what great knowledge imam bukhari had how many different chains he had how many different scholars he had met and how much research he had done which shows that he had so many different chains for the same hadith now what do we learn in this hadith first of all we see that hurting other believers with one's tongue and hands this is not the way of a muslim hurting other believers with one's tongue and hands is not the way of a muslim this behavior contradicts iman this behavior contradicts islam one thing before we continue you will notice that sometimes the word islam is coming up other times the word iman is coming up isn't it so because as we have learned earlier that islam and iman generally they mean the same thing a person who is a muslim he is understood to be a mu'min in general terms sometimes we say that he has islam and sometimes he has iman i have iman i am a muslim isn't it so but in certain context islam refers to something different and iman refers to something different and you know about the difference in certain situations islam refers to the outward actions and iman refers to the inward and other situations it's the exact opposite but over here in this bab you will see islam and iman are coming up again and again it basically means the same thing all right because islam means a person has iman a person cannot be a muslim until he has faith part of islam is shahadatu alla ilaha illallah part of islam is having iman so don't get confused with regards to this matter okay now we see here that islam is to leave hurting other people by one's tongue and also by one's hands how can a person hurt another by his tongue hmm backbiting harsh words mocking insulting lying yelling scolding hmm? taunting the other person irritating them annoying them with one's words because many times we do these things and we think it's okay like we will you know irritate our younger brother or sister by saying things that really annoy them and we know that they really don't like such words but we will still say them this is not the way of a muslim he will not say words that are hurtful that are annoying that are irritating he will not say such words he will not say such things then secondly hurting other people with one's hands how is that done by hitting by slapping by pushing by pulling by poking hmm? pinching pulling the other person's hair or doing something physically to hurt them and similarly this includes doing certain actions by which other people are hurt because many actions how are they done by the hands so whether it is using the hand to write something whether it is using the hand to do something hide somebody's thing so that they are hurt or you know doing anything by which another person is hurt this is not the way of a muslim because al muslimu man salima al muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadihi this is who a muslim is 
Now this hadith, what does this tell us? Does this mean that if a person hurts another by his words, he does not remain a Muslim anymore? Or if a person hurts another by his hands, he does not remain a Muslim anymore? No. This is not what the meaning is. Because remember that this hadith is speaking about the Muslim, not in general terms, but in specific terms. In the general sense, who is a Muslim? The one who believes in Allah, right? The one who performs a salah, gives a zakah, performs a hajj, fasts in the month of Ramadan, upholds all the pillars. In general terms, that is who a Muslim is. But in specific terms, the khas attributes of a Muslim, what are they? That other believers are safe from him. Similarly, Islam is also with regards to one's relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also with regards to one's relationship with people. So Islam, with regards to one's relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does it mean? That a person is submissive to Allah, a person performs a salah, gives a zakah, performs a hajj, fast in the month of Ramadan. But in relationship with other people, what does it mean by Islam? That a person does not hurt others. You understand? That a person does not hurt others. With regards to Allah, upholding the pillars. With regards to people, not hurting them. Not harming them. And then we see that over here, Al-Muslimu has been said. Al-Muslimu refers to who? The complete Muslim. Meaning the one who is complete in his submission, in his Islam. The one who is, you can say, the best Muslim. Or the one who has perfected his Islam. So there are different levels of Islam. So Al-Muslimu, the khas Muslim, the complete Muslim, right? The one who is the best Muslim, this is his sign. Just as for the munafiq, do we learn about the signs of the munafiqeen? Yes, we do. So over here, what is a sign of a Muslim, the evident sign of a Muslim? That he will not hurt other people by his words or by his actions. These are the obvious signs of a Muslim. And it's very obvious that when a person is like this in his relationship with other people, will he be careful in his relationship with his Lord? Of course. When a person is careful about his words and his actions, that he does not want to hurt others, obviously he'll be very careful in his obedience to his Lord as well. So this hadith does not mean that a Muslim only needs to do this, that he should just, you know, not hurt other people by his words and actions. And no, yeah, he doesn't need to care about his prayer, his worship. No, that's understood. And the fact is when a person will do one, he will do the other as well. One leads to the other. And Islam, again, as I told you, is with regards to dealings with people as well as dealings with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And both of them, they perfect a Muslim. Because sometimes it happens that we think that our obligation as a Muslim is just to fulfill our obligations, our duties to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not all. We are obligated to be dutiful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well as being careful with other people as well, giving them their due as well. So the complete Muslim, the best Muslim, the sign of the best Muslim is what is given over here. Secondly, in this hadith we learn that وَالْمُهَاجِرُ مَنْ هَجَرَ مَا نَهَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ That the muhajir, the immigrant, is the one who leaves what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. What does it mean by this? What it means is that hijrah is also of two types. Hijrah that is عام and hijrah that is khas. Hijrah that is general and hijrah that is specific. 
In this hadith, we are learning about the general hijrah. Okay, we're learning about what? The general hijrah. Amma. And that is that a person leaves what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. And what is hijrah khasa? Specific hijrah? That a person leaves that country, that city, that place where there is fitna for his deen. He leaves that and moves somewhere else where he can practice his deen, where there is less fitna. Alright? So, what do we learn over here? That muhajir is the one who leaves what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. Many times we see that a lot of importance is given to doing hijrah. People say, you know, leave this country, let's go to a Muslim country. Isn't it so? You may have heard that people think that this is perfecting iman and only this is perfecting one's Islam and iman. But what do we learn from this hadith? Should you only be concerned about leaving your country and moving somewhere else? No. You should be concerned about leaving bad things as well. Leaving bad habits as well. Leaving riba as well. Leaving lying. Leaving anything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. That is hijrah. And that is something that we should also do. Because what is it that will perfect your hijrah? Your actual, your khas hijrah. If a person moves from one country to the other for the sake of his religion, what is it that will actually perfect his religion on top of that? When he will leave what Allah has forbidden. Because even in a Muslim country, can a person do wrong things? Very easily. Very easily. So, the muhajir is who? The one who leaves what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. So what does this hadith show to us? That Islam consists of actions which complete and perfect one's Islam. And of those actions is what? Not hurting other people. Staying away from hurting other people, either by one's hands or by one's tongue. In this hadith especially, the Muslims are mentioned, that other Muslims are safe from his tongue and hands. Other people are not mentioned, but Muslims specifically are mentioned. Because you see, a Muslim is mentioned, why? Because a Muslim has a special right on you. It doesn't mean you have the right to hurt other people just because they're not Muslim. No, obviously we know that we're not supposed to. But al-Muslimun are mentioned because the Muslim has a special right on you. He is your brother in religion. You're not allowed to hurt him. You're not allowed to harm him in any way. And when a person is careful with those who are closest to him, hmm, that is a real test. Because it's very easy to be good to other people, isn't it? But it's difficult to be good to those who are close to you. Now, one example that's coming to my mind is that many times it happens when we go to, let's say, a place where there are non-Muslims, we will be very courteous, very careful, we will smile, we will say hi, hello, acknowledge other people's presence, and say excuse me and sorry and apologize and every little thing. But when we go to the masjid, when we go to a place where there are all Muslims, it doesn't matter. Isn't it so? It doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. We can walk, we can push other people. You know, we can just ignore other people as if they don't exist. We can leave garbage in the washroom. We can leave garbage anywhere. Isn't it so? This is what we think generally. So this hadith tells us that the one who has really completed and perfected his Islam is the one from whom other Muslims are safe. He is careful with those who are closest to him. That this hadith tells us that there are certain do's and there are certain don'ts that complete and perfect your faith. Next hadith. Babu, ayyul islami afdal. Chapter. On whose Islam is best? Ayyu, which al-Islam, Islam afdal, best. Meaning which or whose Islam is best? Which Muslim is best? Whose Islam is best? Haddathana Sa'id ibn Yahya. Haddathana, he narrated to us, who? Sa'id ibn Yahya. And who is Sa'id ibn Yahya? Ibn Sa'id ibn 
Al-Qurashiyu. You understand the entire name? Sa'id ibn Yahya ibn Sa'id ibn Al-Qurashi. This is his entire name. Qala, he said, Haddathana Abi, my father narrated to me. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? That the father is the teacher. The father is narrating the hadith to his son. And the son is narrating right, from his father. And notice the word haddathana. What does the word haddathana indicate? That did he learn himself only? No. It was him and other people over there as well when they took the hadith. So the son was sitting in the classroom of, who? of his father. So, حَدَّثَنَا أَبِي He said, my father narrated to us. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُو بُرْدَةَ بْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ أَبِي بُرْدَةَ He narrated to us who? أَبُو بُرْدَةَ ابْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ ابْنُ أَبِي بُرْدَةَ عَنْ أَبِي بُرْدَةَ From Abu Burda. عَنْ أَبِي مُوسَى From Abu Musa. And Abu Musa, this is a sahabi of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Musa al-Ashari, radiyallahu anhu. He said, Abu Musa narrated that Qalu they said, meaning the Sahaba they said, they asked, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ayyul Islami Afdal. Ayyu which Al Islam, Islam, Afdal is best. Which Islam is best? Meaning whose Islam is best? Which person is the best Muslim, in other words? Qala he said, Man Salimal Muslimuna Millisanihi. وَيَدِهِ The one from whose tongue and hands other Muslims are safe. Meaning such character is the basis of all good traits and mannerisms. Which character? The person from whose hands other Muslims are safe and also from his tongue. So this is the basis of good character. Now this hadith is talking about who? Which Muslim is the best? أَيُّ The will Islami أَفْضَلْ this is what it means. That which Muslim is the best. And another version of the same hadith which we find in Sahih Muslim, it is Ayyul Muslimina Afdal. Which of the Muslims is best? So in other words, which Muslim is the best? So in other words, this hadith is telling us that a believer, he attains excellence, fadila, when he has this trait. He becomes the best Muslim when he has this trait. And what is this trait? that other believers are safe from his tongue and hands. Now obviously, this is Islam with respect to one's mu'amala with who? People. Because we know it's understood that as a Muslim, a person has to pray, he has to give zakat, he has to perform the hajj. Right? That's understood. But on top of that, what will make a Muslim the best Muslim? When he is like this. When he is like this. When others are safe from his tongue and hands. Now if you think about it, the word Muslim, how do we understand it? The one who is submissive, the one who has submitted himself. And remember that in Arabic the word Muslim is actually used for who? A camel. Isn't it so? Who is completely submissive to his master. The master has a rope in his hand and he's taking the camel wherever he wants. The camel does not stop, does not become stubborn, does not refuse. He's submissive. Completely surrendered himself. So this is who a Muslim is. He has completely surrendered himself to Allah. So when he has completely surrendered himself to Allah, he will also deal with the people in the way that Allah likes. He will also deal with people in the way that Allah likes. Which is why he will not hurt others. He will not taunt others. He will not say hurtful words. He will not harm, injure other people. 
but he'll be careful. So what does it show to us? That apparently it is as though your matter is with the people when you are not hurting them. Hmm? But in reality, it is your matter with who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you are being careful with your words and your actions, you are in fact being more submissive to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We think that if we become careful, if we change our behavior, then we are being very submissive before other people. And we should be bold and we should have the confidence to yell. We should have the confidence to fight. This is not confidence. This is not boldness. We are required to be submissive to Allah. And part of submission to Allah is being good to other people. So apparently you're dealing with people, but in reality you're dealing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why this is a complete Muslim. Next hadith. Babun It'amu ta'ami min al-Islam. Chapter It'amu. It'am. What does it mean? To give ta'am. This is bab if'al. There's a meaning of ta'diyah. Right? To give ta'am. So it'am feeding. What? At-ta'ami. The food. Feeding the food. Meaning giving food to others. This is what? Min al-Islam. This is also a part of Islam. Islam is not just the khams that we learnt. They are the foundation, the bunyan. Bunyal islamu ala khams. But there are many other things that are necessary to keep the building. Like for example, there could be a structure, a building, that has the foundations. Okay, it is complete, it is standing. But when will that building be nice and beautiful? When? When it is furnished. When it is finished. When there is decoration. So you can think of it like this. That there are five foundations of Islam which are a must that we have to do. But on top of that, there are other things that we also have to do to beautify our Islam. Nobody likes an empty house. We all like houses that are nicely furnished, nicely decorated. Similarly, a house that is too plain, that does not have any decoration, people don't like it. Right? We like decoration. This is human nature. We like beauty. So similarly, what is it that will beautify a person's Islam? Such characteristics, such mannerisms, such actions. And part of those is feeding food, giving food. حَدَّثَنَا عَمْرِ بْنِ خَالِدٍ حَدَّثَنَا He narrated to us. Who? عَمْرْ ibn Khalid. قَالَ He said, حَدَّثَنَا اللَّيْسُ Layth narrated to us. Who is a Layth? Layth is Ibn Sa'd. And he is a faqih of, he was a great faqih of the people of Egypt. He was from Egypt. So he narrated from who? An Yazid from Yazid. And Yazid, he took the hadith from who? An Abil Khair, meaning from Abul Khair. And he took the hadith from who? An Abdullah ibn Amrin, from Abdullah ibn Amr, radiyallahu anhuma. Anna rajulan, that a man, sa'ala nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ayyul Islami Khairun Which Islam is best? Ayyu which al-Islam Islam Khairun best? Earlier we learned Ayyul Islami Afdal And over there the question was about who? The person who is a Muslim Over here it's about the action Which action of Islam is the best? Qala he said Tut'imu ta'ama That you feed the food You give the food وَتَقْرَأُ And you read, meaning you say, السَّلَامَ دَسَلَامَ عَلَىٰ أَبَانْ مَنْ عَرَفْتَ The one you recognize, وَمَنْ لَمْ تَعْرِفْ And the one you do not recognize. So, 
which action of Islam is the best? That first of all, you give food to others, and secondly, you say salam to those whom you know and those whom you do not know. This hadith is not contradicting the other. You may say that oh, earlier we learned the best Muslim is the one from whose hands and tongue other Muslims are safe, and this hadith is giving another definition. No, that hadith is the best Muslim, and this hadith is telling us about the best action in Islam. So, what's the best action that a person can do? Tutaamutam, giving food, feeding the food, and this is feeding people in a manner or in a state that is praiseworthy, meaning any type of feeding other people which is rewardable. Whether it is in the form of giving food to a person who is very hungry, or it is in the form of giving food to a person who was fasting, and now he's going to break his fast, or it is giving food to your family, or it is giving food to your friends, or it is giving food to other believers. Okay, This is giving food, feeding food to other people in any way that is Rewardable. That brings reward to a person. Because if you think about it, you give food. It hasn't been said that you give food to the needy. Alright? Because food is the need of who? Every single human being. Whether he's your friend, or your child, or your neighbor, or your co-worker, or the person sitting next to you, a person whom you know, a person whom you don't know, a person who is wealthy, a person who is very poor. It's the need of every single human being. So this is why tuta'imul ta'am. Now what do we see over here? Giving food to other people is the best action. The best action. But we don't give much importance to this. And many times we as women, we dread cooking. We don't like cooking. We think of it as a chore, as a burden, as a waste of time. Don't we think of it as a waste of time? That here I am standing for two hours cooking. I spend two hours cooking and here they come eat in 15 minutes and go away. They don't even help me with the cooking or the clearing up afterwards. I'd rather do something else. I'd rather go and read peacefully. I'd rather go and visit someone who is sick. I'd rather go and you know check all my emails and do my work. Hmm? Other deeds are important as well. But don't underestimate this deed. This is also a very important deed. Because look, it is the best action. Ayyul Islami khayrun. Tut'imu ta'am. That you feed, that you give the food. So, whenever you have to cook for your family, for your friends, for your children, don't think of it as a burden. Don't think of it as a chore because it's one of the best things that you can do. Why do you think so? Why do you think it's the best deed? Why? Is cooking easy? Is it easy? For some people, yes, it's easy. But even if it's easy, does it require work from you? Does it require standing from you? Yes, a lot of thinking. Yes, for many people, they have to think a lot. Okay, what do I do now? Every step they have to think. It requires your effort, your money, your energy, your time. Isn't it so? It requires a lot from you. It's not easy to cook, to prepare food, and give it to other people. You prepare everything and other people come and eat it. It's not easy to do that. It requires a lot of work from you. This is why it's so rewardable. And the thing is that when you give food to other people, whether it is your family or your husband or your children, then this is one of the best charities that you can do. 
Why? Because when you give food to someone, they're getting nourished. They're getting energy. They are maintaining their health. Isn't it so? And with that health, with that energy, with that nourishment, they're able to pray. They're able to do many things. They're able to stay up. They're able to work. They're able to learn. They're able to pray. If you did not give them food, then they wouldn't be able to do anything. It's a basic human need. Similarly, when you're giving food to someone, you are taking a big burden off them. You're taking a big burden off of them. So it's a charity right there. It's a big sadaqah. Imagine if every single person, every single person of a family had to go and cook, prepare their food themselves. How much time would it take? A lot of time on every single person. And because you're cooking, other people are able to do so much work. I remember when I started teaching at Al-Huda, it required a lot of work from me. I would have to sit for hours and hours to prepare. And um, because it was the first time I was doing it, I would consult one book, another book, listen to the series and stop every time. And imagine two-hour lecture would turn into listening of six hours. And alhamdulillah, I was living with my in-laws. I never had to worry about cooking. And I think about it that if I had to worry about cooking, I would not be able to do this work. Trust me, I wouldn't be able to. So when you're cooking and other people are eating, it's a huge, huge charity. It's a huge gift that you can give to someone. You're saving their time so that they can do something else. Those of you who are young over here, you go home and you find food ready. Your mothers prepare it for you. It's a huge favor they're doing it for you. So this is why it's the best deed that a person can do. It requires your money, your effort, your time. The heat that you have to bear standing in front of the oven and all those hours you have to stand and the hand that you have to move constantly. It's every day you don't get a break. Three times a day. First thing in the morning, in the middle of the day, and the last thing that you do at night as well many times. So at this time, all of us should correct our intentions. The next time we have to cook, don't take it as a burden. Remind yourself, perhaps you can put this on your refrigerator so that you can help yourself, you know, feel good when you're cooking, that this is the best deed. Because, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, we look down on other people who are cooking. That we say, oh my God, look at the time that they're wasting. You know, or we think that other people who are studying or doing something else, look at them, they're, you know, they're doing such good things and here I am wasting my life. You're not wasting your life. We should also encourage our friends and family members to take a part in this ajr. If you don't know how to cook, then you cannot take part in this. So first of all, learn to cook. Okay. And secondly, cook with a smile. Be happy about it. This is something that you have to do every day. Many other deeds you're not able to do, but this deed you have to do. Whether you're sick or you're tired or you're hungry yourself, you have an assignment or an exam, doesn't matter, you have to do it. That look at the questions of the Sahaba. That which Islam is best? That which Muslim is the best? This is what they were interested in. Not that how can I get away from this and that. You're going to say something? Restaurant or no hotels for non-Muslims or even Muslims for the Indian people. So my father would just walk in with people and our home was blessed like that. Even at night, middle of the night, people would phone saying that we'll be there at midnight. My mother would, if we were doing homework or busy or sleeping, wake us up, quickly, quickly wrestle and make some food. So we always had kept canned food or things in the freezer and made something for them. And those days, we didn't make rice, we just made rotis for them. There was no restaurant or no convenience store next door open till 10 o'clock. Our shop in South Africa all closed at 5 o'clock. 
So we quickly made something. So all of our sisters got to the habit of just loving to cook and feeding people. Yes. Even when somebody has a baby, don't worry about what you can give the baby or what you can do for the mother. Because that mother, if she doesn't have family around her, she needs someone to help her with the cooking. Just make some dishes and leave it there. Don't come and bug her anything. Just leave it there. It will help the new mother. Or at least help her with perhaps the onions or the garlic or, you know, the, the prep. Help her with that. And honestly, this is something very, very important. I remember somebody was studying me recently. Their daughter has gone abroad to uh, study. And uh, on Eid day, she prepared, imagine she's first year university. She prepared meals for so many people, I believe more than 100. I'm not sure about the exact number right now. And she went and distributed the food to all of her friends. Why? Because her mother taught her how to cook. And she was actually able to feed other people on Eid day so that they felt it was Eid away from home. Because you're having, you know, the typical festive food that you eat. So she prepared all of that food for more than 100 people and she distributed it to all her friends. This is a big, a very, very important deed that we don't give importance to. If you don't like cooking and you cook anyway, would you get double reward? You'll get double reward only if you do it with a good intention. Not that you're hating that process and you're like, why do I have to stand here and why do I have to do this? No. With a good intention. Because intention matters a lot. So I was just saying that because it's a class of women as well, and I think this is advice for us more so, is that because teaching the daughters as well to love this and to do it for the sake of Allah and using this as an example so that we don't grow up with the concept it's a waste of time. Yes. I don't want to do this. I can just take out. Because I think us new generation have become like this a little. Yes. Yes. That we don't teach our children, our daughters, how to cook because we say that, you know, they should rather do something else. But this is an important part of life. If you don't know how to cook, you don't know how to eat healthy. If you don't eat healthy, how are you going to do your work? And also remember that many times girls are told, learn how to cook because you have to get married. Isn't it? What do we learn from here? Learn how to cook because it's the best deed. Isn't that more encouraging? Right? It's really encouraging. You have such a good reason to know how to cook, prepare food, present food in a nice way. Because many times people don't focus on presentation, right? Healthy food, good presentation, all of that is necessary. So giving food to people. Anyway. Secondly, salam, And you say the salam. What does it mean by this, that you say the salam? You say the salam meaning that you initiate salam or that you respond to the salam. If you... If somebody does not say to you, you initiate the salam, you say the salam. And if somebody else says salam to you, then what should you say? Wa alaykum salam respond to their salam. So, وَتَقْرَأُ السَّلَامَ عَلَى مَنْ عَرَفْتَ وَمَنْ لَمْ تَعْرِفْ Those whom you know and those whom you do not know. What does it mean by this? Those whom you know and those whom you do not know. Does it mean those whom you know to be Muslim and those whom you do not know to be Muslim? No. What this means is those whom you are acquainted with and those whom you are not acquainted with. People you know personally and people you don't know personally. People whom you are friends with and people whom you are not friends with. Everybody, in other words, any person whom you pass by, who passes by you, you face them, any person. What does this show to us? That we should acknowledge the presence of another. Whether we know them or we don't know them. But sometimes it's unfortunate that we pretend as if other people don't exist Literally. This is not correct. A believer is very courteous. 
he acknowledges the presence of other people. He doesn't ignore people who pass by him. He notices them. So say salam to those whom you know and those whom you do not know. And in the general sense as well, people whom you come across, whether they are Muslim or not Muslim, are you required to greet them? Yes, because greeting the other is a moral act. It's something that that is a haq of the other people. So greet them in whatever way that is acceptable. So when you come across a non-Muslim, for example, you know, look up at them, say hi. Obviously, I'm not saying there's a man and you're alone and there you start beginning a conversation with them. But I mean, you know, uh, there should be greeting. Okay. And especially when you see another Muslim, then we have to say salam, whether we know them or we don't know them. But you know what we start doing generally? We look at the other person. Do I know her? Do I know her? If you know her, then say salam. If you don't know her, you know, I don't know her. Turn your eyes away. Turn your face away. This is not right. وَتَقْرَأُ السَّلَامَ عَلَى مَنْ عَرَفْتَ وَمَنْ لَمْ تَعْرِفْ Those you know and you don't know. When somebody does say salam, we start wondering, who are they? Do I know them? Why did they say salam to me? Everything okay? Did I do something wrong? They're just greeting you. We see that many times, especially in, in Muslim societies, in Muslim countries, this practice is disappearing gradually, that people don't say salam to one another. So when you do go back home, if it's a Muslim country, whenever you go, make sure that you practice this, inshallah. I'm thinking both these commands are to promote the internal bonding of an ummah. Within a society where Muslims live, you feed each other, you visit each other, you say salam to each other. What does it promote? Automatically, if there's any kina, anything negative coming in the heart, it gets washed off. And on the point of Tut-i-Mut-Ta'am, I wanted to uh, mention and appreciate without mentioning the names, some of the sisters, mashallah, from previous course or staff, you know, when they learn the Quran, they've, they've taken this as upon themselves that, okay, inshallah, we're going to be part of the cafe so without anybody knowing they are doing this khair ongoing even when they're away they would make sure that you know one day a week if they have sponsored food for lunch for everyone that continues on and I was thinking that last year when we started doing it group wise after a couple of rounds the feedback that I got was you know people are tired they don't want to do it anymore and this I was thinking maybe this is a time we can do it at least one more time or it's like considering that we've studied this hadith of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we want to put it in to action, not only in our homes, we do it in our homes regardless, but why not here, just to revive that sunnah spirit. And you know what, perhaps what you can try doing is that, for example, if you're baking, hmm? you're making one recipe, make double recipe. You're baking muffins, bake an extra tray. You're baking brownies, bake an extra tray. It's not difficult when everything is already out. So because, you know, obviously we are coming here four days a week studying, there's a lot of work to do at home as well. So make use of this time. When you're doing something already, do a double so that one you can keep at home and one you can bring here. And remember, as we learned earlier, that Islam is in your relationship with your Lord as well as with people. So with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's understood what we have to do. And with regards to other people, these are the things that we should do. Just one more thing before we continue about the food and the cooking. We know that there's balance required in everything, isn't it? So... Don't think that just because we're encouraged to cook over here. Now tomorrow, tonight you cook. The only thing you do is cook. And Monday when you're asked about your homework, you say, oh, I was cooking all weekend. <laughs> Balance is required in everything. Okay? Inshallah. Because أعطي كل الذي حق حقه. Next hadith. باب من الإيمان أن يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه. باب chapter من الإيمان part of إيمان 
and that yuhibbali akhihi that he loves for his brother who a believer loves for his brother what ma that which yuhibbuli nafsihi he loves for himself part of iman is that a person loves for his brother what he loves for himself haddathana musaddadun qala haddathana yahya an shu'bata an qatadata an anasin radiyallahu anhu an nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam وعن حسين المعلم قال حدثنا قتادة عن أنس عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال So two narrations are mentioned over here لا يؤمن أحدكم لا يؤمن He cannot believe أحدكم One of you Meaning none of you can be a believer حتى until يحب He loves لأخيه for his brother ما يحب لنفسه What he loves for himself Does this hadith mean that if a person does not love for his brother what he loves for himself, he is not a believer? No. What does it mean? That he cannot reach perfection of iman. Because remember, there are some people who say either there is iman or there is no iman. But what's the correct opinion? That iman increases and decreases. So when is a person's iman high? Or when does it reach a high level? When he loves for his brother what he loves for himself so this love it perfects one's iman what do we learn from this hadith that a person must not have double standards he should have the same standard for himself and also the same standard for other people if he does not like to hear something he should not make other people hear it if he does not like to be told something he should not tell other people about it because he finds it annoying or those words are disturbing Similarly, if a person does not like to walk into a washroom that is all wet, in which the slippers are all over the floor, the counters are wet, the paper is all over, then don't leave it the same way for other people. If you don't like the fact that you go somewhere and there are shoes all over the place and you don't even know how to get to the shelves so that you can put your shoes, don't leave your shoes on the floor like that. And every person, what do they like for themselves? That which is the best. So when you love the best for you, for yourself, love the best for your brothers as well. Love the best for other people as well. And when a person does that, that is a sign of the perfection of his faith. Now, we learn another hadith as well. The Prophet ﷺ said, this is a hadith in Muslim, that مَنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يُزَحْزِحَ عَنِ النَّارِ وَيُدْخِلَ الْجَنَّةِ Whoever loves that he should be saved from hellfire and he should be admitted into Jannah, فَلْتَأْتِهِ مَنِيَّتُهُ وَهُوَ يُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ Then let his death come to him while he believes in Allah and the last day. وَالْيَأْتِ إِلَى النَّاسِ الَّذِي يُحِبُّ أَنْ يُؤْتَى إِلَيْهِ And he should give to people, he should deal with people in the way that he likes to be dealt with. He should say to people what he likes to hear. So this hadith also tells us that we should deal with others in the way that we like to be dealt with. Another hadith tells us that the Prophet ﷺ said, إِبْدَأْ بِنَفْسِكْ Begin with yourself. That begin with yourself when you have money and spend money on yourself. And if you have extra, then spend on who? Your family. If you have extra, then spend on you know your relatives. And if you have extra, then here and there. So the hadith tells us, begin with yourself. Is there a contradiction between the two? You love for your brother what you love for yourself. The other hadith tells us, when you give something, begin with yourself. Everybody loves to be first. Is this a contradiction? No. The second hadith that I quoted to you over here, Ibda bin Nafsik, this is in regards to starting doing something. 
And this hadith that we're reading over here, that we're studying over here, is telling us that whatever you like for yourself, you should like for the other. Meaning, if there's something that, some behavior, some words, some action, some food, anything that you like for yourself, you should also like for other people. But it does not mean that if you like something for someone else, you have to prefer them over yourself. Liking the same thing for the other does not mean preferring them over yourself. Because obviously you're going to eat first and then you're going to offer food to others. Isn't it? You're going to clean your house first and then you're going to offer cleaning other people's houses. You're going to do your work first and then you're going to offer helping somebody else with their work. Correct? So loving something for the other does not mean that you have to give preference to them. And remember that this matter of ithar, preferring others over yourself, this must be understood clearly as well. Because we get confused in this regard. That what does it mean by preferring other people over yourself? In what cases is it good? In what cases is it not good? Or are we supposed to prefer other people over ourselves in every situation? Remember that when it comes to ithar, preferring other people over yourself, it could be in three matters. First of all, with regards to those matters which are obligatory on you. Those matters which are an obligation on you, that you have to do. For example, prayer. You have to pray. Wudu. You have to do wudu. There is no choice. An amana. You have to fulfill it. Isn't it so? It's an obligation on you. But if you are in a situation where you have to either do that which is obligatory on you or prefer the other person. Like for example, it's Maghrib Salah. Time for Maghrib Salah. Either you pray Maghrib or you prefer your brother and you give them a ride to the bus stop. But if you give them a ride to the bus stop, by the time you come back, your salah will be late. Salah is fard. Hmm? And over here, giving them a ride, this is like preferring them over yourself. Should you prefer them over yourself in this situation? No. It's haram to do that. It's haram to prefer other people over yourself in matters that are obligatory on you. This is not sacrifice. This is not charity. Because sometimes we think it's such a huge sacrifice. You know that, for example, I will delay my salah and I will drop off my sister somewhere or I will do the groceries for the family. This is not a sacrifice. This is not a gift. This is wrong. It's not allowed. Similarly, if a person has just enough water with which he can do wudu, the other person wants to drink that water. You say, oh, you're thirsty? Go ahead, drink it. I will do tayammum. No. You're not going to do tayammum over there. You're going to use that water to do wudu. Okay? Secondly, it is in matters that are mustahab on you. Meaning, if you do those actions, that's highly recommended for you. It's not an obligation, but it's highly recommended for you. So, for example, you go to the masjid to pray salah. And you find that in the saf there's a spot for only one person. What should you do? Let other people go instead. You come to class and there's spots in the front. Oh, let other people fill the spots. I'm being charitable. I'm preferring my sisters over myself. They should sit in the front. You know, I don't mind sitting at the back. Is this good? No. The matters which are mustahab for you. In those matters, you are not going to prefer other people over yourself. Why? Because you're missing out on reward. This is going to lead you to losing many other opportunities. You understand? 
you're going to end up missing many other opportunities. You're going to stay back once, you're going to stay back many other times. Understood? But if it's a situation in which if you prefer yourself over the other, it's going to create some ill feelings between you and the other person. Or it's going to be disrespectful to the other. Like for example, say masjid example, you're going with your mother. Okay? You and your mother are both there. You're looking at one another. Now in this situation, what should you do? Give preference to your mother. Because if you don't give preference to your mother or the person who is older than you, then that is disrespectful. You understand? And it can create ill feelings between friends. Like for example, you are the one who always comes and sits in the first row. There is a particular spot that you sit in. For example, like for example, Naila usually sits here. Everybody knows this is Naila's spot. Okay? Everybody knows this is Kinza's spot. Now, okay, you can say, this is not fixed. Where is it written that this is Naila's spot? I can come and sit there. Okay, you can come and sit there. But is she going to feel bad? Yes, she will. You're taking her spot. You understand? So it will create ill feelings. Do you get it? So in matters that are mustahab on you, generally you don't prefer other people over yourself. You go and do it yourself because you want the reward. We have been told, فَاسْتَبِقُ khayrat. But if it's going to create ill feelings, then give the other person a chance. Thirdly, it could be in those matters which are mubah. Mubah for you. Meaning whether you do it or you don't do it, it's not a big deal. Like for example, getting food from you know, the food station at a wedding. Now, in such a situation, what should you do? Prefer other people or not? Yes, you should. This is highly recommended. This is something that is masnoon. And this is something that we are told to do. And this is the reason why the Ansar were praised. Understand now? So in matters that are an obligation on you, you don't need to sacrifice there. In matters that are mustahab for you, seize that opportunity. But if it's going to create some ill feelings, let it go. And what does it show that we have to be very careful, very concerned about other people. And in matters that are mustahab, prefer other people over yourself. So that if, for example, Naila is not there, the spot is empty, then what do you do? You fill it in. The mustahab one, see, in matters that are fard on you. So for example, in the class, if the teacher is telling you, come forward, come and sit in the front. Over there, you will not wait for other people to go. No, you have to go yourself. Because it's unfortunate that we say, you know, let other people take it. Let other people sit in the front. Let other people do it. Do you really have so many good deeds that you think it's okay for you to not seize that opportunity? Seriously, do you? I don't think anyone can claim that. So you have to seize every opportunity. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.